Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So, uh, as we begin, um, uh, I want us to, to just recap where we've been in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to eventually turn, have you turn to Exodus chapter 24 to begin, but... Um, to just to go back, because because I, as I mentioned last week, the book of Hebrews was not meant to be read over a nine-week period where we are right now, or a twelve-week period. It's been meant to to sit down and read, and and there's been really a compounding argument that our author has been making, and so it's just important to make sure that we we hold this in mind as we get to these chapters, which. Uh, as I said last week, are really uh, a climax of, of this argument that he's been making. So in chapter 1, our author made this argument that, that uh, Jesus Christ was, was superior and is superior to the, to the angels, to the heavenly beings. Jesus Christ is superior to them. Uh, in, in chapter 2, he made this, this argument that he's superior to all of humanity, that, that he is the representative human being. He's the representative man, representative of, of all humanity. So... Um, and we'll come back to that in later on. But uh, chapter three, he's talking about uh, Christ is greater than Moses was. And remember, he's writing to this Jewish audience who would have held Moses as one of the one of the most revered people in all of their history. And and our author is saying Jesus was was even greater than Moses. In chapter 4, he says Jesus was greater than the Sabbath. And then in chapter 5, 6, uh, and 7, he's making the argument that he's, he's greater even than the high priest. Greater than any high priest. Greater even than the first high priest, Aaron. Uh, Jesus Christ is, is superior to all of these people. And so it's, it's this compounding argument. Greatest, uh, most superior, more superior than the angels, than all of humanity, than Moses than the Sabbath and the high priest. And so this has been building. And then last week we talked about that the work of Jesus was superior even to the work of the law, the, the work of the old covenant, the first covenant that was given. Um, and that's where we want to begin uh, in Exodus chapter 24. So as you're turning to Exodus chapter 24, if you're not already there, um, I'm not already there. Uh, I want to ask you, are there things that make you squeamish? Like maybe I feel like the thing that often uh, when I when I think of this, like if you're watching uh, probably football is where this mostly happens and somebody gets hurt and then they show the replay and like you didn't see it when it happened, but then they show the replay and you're, oh, no. And then they keep showing it and you can't look away. But every time uh, I had a I had a moment uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, he was describing uh sort of a painful ordeal that he went through and he's describing it to me and as he's talking to me he says uh, do you want me to stop because <laughs> like he could see that my whole body was just tensing up and uh it and it's just like you you have things like that um how many of you get squeamish around blood a few of you yeah okay uh you would not have done well uh, in the old testament times uh uh, one of the things that makes me squeamish even to think about, so when I was a, a kid, we lived in Bolivia, and uh, one of the things that would happen, this happened to me, for some reason this happened to me like eight times, and I think I was the only one in our family, but they have, in Bolivia, in the grass, there are these little bugs that live in the grass, and they're called niguas, and uh, what they'll do is 
uh, as you're walking, you, if you're walking around barefoot, they will latch onto your, to your feet. And I'm going to make some of you squeamish already, so that's all right. Uh, they'll latch onto your feet, and, they'll, and they will, uh, they'll crawl into your toe or something like that. Um, and, and you don't notice them when they, when they first do that. Uh, what you notice is that when they, once they're in there, they kind of make a little nest and they begin planting eggs. Uh, and that's when it starts to really become painful. Uh, and really the only way to deal with these is, at least the only way that we did it, is I had my, my mom uh, would hold me down and she would have to take a needle and clean it out. And you'd have to like open up the wound and like make sure you get out all of the little tiny eggs and then disinfect it. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, it was a fairly painful ordeal, a fairly painful process. Um, and so these are things that like you, I mean, you hear about that. You're like, oh man, that sounds awful. Uh, Exodus chapter 24. Um, this is we talked about this last week uh, very briefly. The I, the the old covenant, the first covenant that God made with Israel. Uh, verse 3, when Moses went and told the people all the words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. So if you remember last week, God, the, the idea behind the covenant is this, this contract that, that a king would often make with uh, the people underneath him, the people, the, the vassals, the people who are part of his kingdom. And you say, I will be your king, and you will be my vassals, and here's the relationship. Here's what I will offer you. Here's what you offer us. And so God has made this covenant, and he's given these laws, and he's given these instructions to the people. And he says, here's, I will be your God, you will be my people, and, and here's, here's the contract. Here's what is required of you for me to be your God. And so they say, verse, th- verse, three, verse 3 again, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Yes, we're signing up for this. Uh, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now we read that and we think, okay, that's this is kind of how it worked. Um, But to to pause and, and to recognize that the amount of blood that we just read about. And and we don't we're we're just reading black and white words on paper, uh, but but this idea that there is these these huge sacrifices of young bulls that are being slaughtered as a part of this offering, as part of the 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 making of this covenant and the solidifying of this covenant, the people are offering these sacrifices, and this was a very a, a very bloody process, and so we're told in verse five that. Uh, or we're told that in verse 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed on the altar. So he took half of the blood from these sacrifices, and he, and he throws it on the altar. And then, in verse 8, he says, Then he took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. 
So if you're standing there and you're part of this sacrifice, Moses and, and part of this making of the covenant, Moses is coming along and, and he's got like a branch of, of hyssop and he's dipping it in the blood and he's throwing it on you. Uh, and, and so you, after this covenant has been made, uh, I mean, we come to worship and we, you know, we just, we come and we sing songs and then we go home. But imagine if when you came to worship, part of what we did here was throwing blood on you. Uh, you would have, you would have this experience of having to go home and change your clothes or take a shower or something. Like you would, you'd be kind of grossed out by that, right? Like, again, those of you who are squeamish by blood, uh, to have like this, this animal slaughtered and, and killed before you and then Moses comes along and he, and he throws the blood. And so you would leave the solidifying of this covenant uh, with the blood of the animals that on you. You would, you would take this home with you. Uh, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, if you're in Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, just one over. Part of what our author has been has been referencing several times, he's he's really been referencing the the entire sacrificial system, uh, but oftentimes he really focuses on this Day of Atonement. And we've talked about this before, but in in Ex, or Leviticus chapter sixteen, uh, let's just read starting in verse three. It says this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering. And a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on linen tur- put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Uh, from the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the goat, for the two goats, one lot for the uh, Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He sh- and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them before, behind the curtain. This is the curtain in the Holy of Holies uh, in, the, in the middle of the tabernacle, eventually the temple, that only the high priest could enter. He is to put the incense of the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it uh, with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same thing for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. 
Uh, this goes on and on. Verse 19, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate. Um, again, we could continue reading this passage, but the, the point that I want you to see in this, in this lengthy passage is the detail, uh, the, the amount of instruction, the amount of, of careful preparation that went into the offering of these sacrifices. And again, to, to have in our mind that when these sacrifices are offer, being offered, uh, it is not a clean process. Uh, I don't know if you've been, those of you that are hunters, you've probably, you know, hunted something and, and killed it and skinned it and things like that. Uh, is it possible to do that and not get a, a little bit of blood and guts on you? Anybody? Who's the, where are hunters? No, okay, good. It's a messy process. And Aaron is, is offering these sacrifices. And, it, and it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly bloody, messy process. And, and the, the solidifying of the covenant and the solidifying of the Day of Atonement, once a year the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies and first have to be cleansed himself uh, with a sacrifice and then go in and offer a sacrifice before the Lord for atonement. And this was happening year after year after year. And now uh, back in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. The, the purpose of this whole sacrificial system. There are really three, three big points for the reason why they would do all of this. And this was true not just for the Day of Atonement sacrifices, but there are all kinds of sacrifices that were to be offered for specific sins and for specific things that you would have to come before the Lord and you'd have to present these offerings. And the purpose, there's really three things. that would, First of all, the, the first purpose was uh, to, have, to have something to offer to God that was representative of, of yourself. And so you would come and you would bring a sacrifice saying, this sacrifice is, is taking my place. It's representative of me and the, and the offering that I'm bringing to the Lord. Um, the, the, the death within the sacrifice is, a, is an outpouring of life to signify the dealing with sin. From, from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, when the first man and woman sin, uh, the consequences are death. And, and the offering of the sacrifices here are, are stand-in. Uh, the, the death of these animals represent the death that we no longer instantly would receive. And so they, they stand and they signify that, that sin in our lives is being dealt with. And then finally, uh, the effects was then to, to cleanse or to purify the worshiper. And these are the things, this is why they would do this year after year after year. To deal with the sin, to, to purify the worshiper, um, to, repre- to stand in place of of the sinner and in hebrews chapter 9 uh the first five verses here have, have been ex- are explaining the details of the tabernacle and the details of, of things that are inside and verse 6 when everything had been arranged like this when when all of the the tabernacle is put together and, and everything is in order for these sacrifices the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. So within the temple, within the tabernacle, there's an outer room where most of the business of the priests would take place. And they would, be, they would do this on a regular basis to carry on the ministry of the tabernacle, to carry on their, their ministry. And only the priests could do this, but only 
verse 7, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So again, what we just read, only once a year the high priest comes and he goes into this inner room, the Holy of Holies, to stand before the, what they believed was the very presence of God, uh, the place where heaven and earth met. Uh, they would go in, and, and once a year the high priest could do it. And first, offering sacrifices for himself, and then bringing a sacrifice for the people. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. And what our author is saying here, and we'll just take a breath for a second because I feel like I'm talking fast. Um, What our author is saying here is that all of this work and all of this sacrifice all of this blood it still wasn't enough it was still insufficient and he says says really this was this was insufficient in two ways um first of all it was it was only one person who could approach God, one person once a year could come before uh, and, and offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. All of the other priests were not allowed near God's presence. They were working, even, even as priests, they were working outside of the Holy of Holies. And then the rest of the community is not even allowed near uh, the the outer room. The rest of the community is standing afar and and separated from God. Even in their receiving of forgiveness through the sacrifices and this offer and this this these actions of regular practice and sacrifices, they're still left out. And they still require somebody else to go before God on their behalf. And so our author says here uh, that the people that the people were were kept at a distance. They were left out. And then in verse 13, it says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Now this is only a temporary solution. That it deals with it deals with the outward appearance of sin, and that we're, there's there's some kind of sin management happening in the lives of the people who are worshiping. But it doesn't get to the core of the person and deal with the root of sin that still lives inside of them. That the ways in which which sin has taken hold and and lives within the person and and the ongoing nature of sin is not dealt with through these sacrifices. And we see this. Uh, let's take a look at a couple passages in the Old Testament. Amos chapter five is the first one. 
I'm going to I'm going to test your minor prophet skills here. Um, Amos chapter five. And this we see this. uh, This is really something we see throughout the Old Testament that God makes statements like the ones we're going to look at right now. Uh, Amos chapter five, verse twenty one. God is speaking through the prophet Amos and he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. And then Micah chapter 6. Micah is going to be just a couple more chapters, a couple more books to write. Um, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah chapter 6. Uh, verses 6. Hello? There we go. Okay. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? What both of these passages are saying and what what we could look at example after example through the Old Testament, where God says the, the sacrifices are not enough. And God says, stop in the Amos passage, he says, stop bringing them. I don't I don't want your sacrifices. What I want is for your heart of sin to be dealt with. If you truly love me, if you truly want to, to be in fellowship with me, don't just bring me more and more sacrifices. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk with your God. And at the core of our humanity and, and the songs that we've sung and the things that, and, and the uh, passage from Isaiah that we looked at earlier today, uh, is we see that we are like sheep who have gone astray. And that at, at the core of our humanity is, is a prone to wander. That, that, that we have this, this part of us that will continue to stray from God. And that no amount of sacrifice, no amount of blood that's being poured out and shed of goats and, and, and heifers and, and bulls are going to deal with the sin that is at the core of our nature. He says it's not enough. These sacrifices, our author of Hebrews tells us, were, were never enough. And as we go back to Hebrews chapter 9, and we've seen Christ uh, as greater than the angels and humanity and Moses and the Sabbath and the high priest uh, and, the, and the first covenant, we see also He's greater than the sacrificial system. He's greater than the lamb that is slain every year at the day of atonement. Verse uh, verse 11. But when Christ came 
As high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of the creation. These are things we we looked at uh, last week a little bit. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Our author is saying here, that, that Christ came and offered a sacrifice. Christ as the high priest comes and offers a sacrifice, not of the blood of a bull or a goat, uh, but of himself. And he comes and in his own sacrifice of himself as the representative human, the sinless human. We looked at all the way back in chapter two. That he comes and he stands in our place as a representative of you and me. And he offers the sacrifice that is needed to get at the core of us. The author of Hebrews uses this term, consciences. The idea that this is, this is the, the inward being, the, the, the heart of who we are. And that Christ comes along and deals with the heart of the matter. That it's no longer just the external ideas of sin and, and a temporary holding place. But now, finally, the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. And he uses this language of redemption. He says that this one is, is offering us eternal redemption. This word would have been used to, to talk about redeeming somebody out of slavery. That you take somebody who was in bondage to something, the, the idea of the exodus for the people of Israel, that they were in bondage for hundreds of years, and then God came and redeemed them. He brought them out of slavery so that they were slaves no longer. This would have been used uh, under the idea of redemption would have been used under like if you were under the the reign of of tyranny and you were brought out from tyranny you have been redeemed you are no longer under this oppressive regime anymore. And he's saying that this is what we were bound as as slaves to sin. And Christ came and brought our redemption. And that just as Jesus has gone into the very heart of the presence of God, not just the the Holy of Holies, but the Holy of Holies that stood before God himself in heaven and offered a sacrifice in the heavenly sanctuary, so uh, his sacrifice is more than just a restoration of fellowship. That we somehow have this temporary sin management that we can, we can, we can somehow be in relationship with God. Uh, but it's a cleansing of our, of our innermost being, of our inward depths, uh, at the core of us, to put who we really are. That God, that, that Christ has come and cleansed uh, every minor aspect of our sin. Got, got all of the details out. And because of this, in verse 14, he says, we are able to, my translation says, so that we may serve the living God. Uh, But this word here is actually that we may minister 
before the living God, which which the author is intentionally using here to to invoke the language of the temple that the priests would go in and, and the high priest would go and they would minister before the Lord. They would they would do the, the ministry of the temple. And and the rest of the people were kept out. Only to bring their sacrifices and then watch it done for them. But what what we're being told here is that because of the redemption, that we now can minister before the Lord as well. That we are no longer kept out relying on somebody else to do the work for us. But that now we are welcomed in to the presence of the Lord. That we can participate in the service of the Lord. That we are now a part of what God is doing. And that we may serve the living God. Amen. Because he stood before the face of God and brought redemption, we are now ministers. We're not dependent on more sacrifices that we must observe from afar. And then, um, I want us to to close with this, these implications for us. Last week we talked about... uh, Last week we talked about uh, the ways in which, the, the old ways in which we are still trying to earn God's favor. And the ways that even those of us who have received salvation are, are still working to earn God's favor. And this week I want us to understand, and I think what we're getting at here at the core, talking about all this blood and sacrifice, uh, is to understand that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for you. And this is true, uh, this is a message that you need to hear if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and we in, invite you to do that. But this is also a message to hear for those of us who have been, who have been Christians for a, a long, long time. Because the reality is, as Christians, we still sin. And, and a lot of times, we still allow the sin that hangs around in our lives to be a part of our identity and part of how, who we understand ourselves to be and a part, of who, a, part, a part of a voice that says, this is actually who you are. And as Pastor Kevin shared with us in his prayer this morning, we need to hear the message, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. They don't have a place. They don't hang on. They don't define you. They're not a part of who you are anymore. If you are in Christ, the work of Christ is sufficient to cleanse out all of our sins. Uh, It's like through his sacrifice, Christ has gone in uh, and he's, he's... dug out not only the the sin but he gets out all of the little eggs all of the all of the little hangers on of a sin in our lives and and there's no more remnants if you could have this picture of of your heart of your conscience that is fully cleaned because of the blood of Christ that it's not just an outworking an outward expression but that all of you has been cleansed from sins. Your sins are forgiven. Every single one of them. That God has gone in 
and he's cleansed us. And so uh, in verse 20, uh, 26, about halfway through verse 26, well, let's just... 26. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And that Christ is accomplishing, has accomplished, that not your sins will be forgiven, but that your sins are forgiven. And to, to, to see your life and to see yourself as a person who is forgiven by God. And what happens is a lot of times, because of the sin that we are aware of in our consciences, because of the way that we uh, move through our world, we, we understand our weaknesses. And we often see ourselves and understand ourselves still as, at our core, sinful human beings. But according to Hebrews, if you are a Christian, you are not a sinner any longer. You may sin from time to time, but you are no longer a sinner. You have been cleansed. And to understand the freedom that comes, as we talked about last week, the freedom that comes from understanding that we have been set free from the tyranny. We have been redeemed from the tyranny of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, and so we may live a life of love in the world that God has created us to live in. And that we no longer have to listen to those voices that say, you're not good enough. You did this last week, and God's probably not happy with you. It's not enough. You need to be something more. You need to do something more. When Christ has said, no, the work that I've done is enough, and you are now enough. And so we pray, uh, God, we pray that as we um, hear these words and we think about uh, the blood and the sacrifice and all that went in that was so temporary and, and unable to accomplish ultimate salvation, eternal redemption, we, we ask that we may be reminded that we may remember, that we may know and grasp hold of the redemption that we have through the blood of Christ. And that this redemption may take, take hold of us, that we may identify, that we may see ourselves as ones who are saved so that we can live uh, with freedom, not no longer bound to sin, uh, but in the freedom that comes through you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, if you're here this morning, uh, and maybe this is new for you, uh, the understanding that, that Christ has paid for your sins, not just some of them, but all of them, uh, it's my prayer and, and our prayer here uh, that you not leave this place without putting your trust 
uh, in that sacrifice. That there's nothing that you have to do. You don't have to become a member of our church. You don't have to do anything other than say yes to God. Um, and and it's it's yours. You are forgiven. Uh, it's not a painful process for you. Um, it's free. And uh, for those of you who, um, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, however long you've been walking with him, uh, my prayer also is that you may know uh, that you too, your sins have been forgiven. Uh, that, that those sins that maybe continue to nag uh, in your life, that you just seem to be hanging on and the voices that are telling you, it's, you're, you know, you'll never measure up, you're not enough. Uh, may you hear the words of Jesus. Uh, you are forgiven. Uh, may you know that this week, and may you go from here celebrating uh, the salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ.